Welcome back to Big Sky Big Takes. This is a production, a co-production of the Big Sky Podcast Network in conjunction with uh, the FCS Fans Nation Network. I am your host for this one, Colby Peterson. Uh, on the show today, guys, got a, a familiar face if you have uh, if you listened to us last week. Montana Parlay joining us again. Montana Parlay. Parlay, how you doing, man? I'm hanging in there. Bus- busy week for me, but I can always jump on and talk FCS football. Yeah, I should say, like, from the Montana Mint, you know what I mean? I feel like I need to be shouting out the podcasts here. So, uh, yeah. But uh, but also from the Big Sky Podcast Network, we have from the R&R Cat Cast, we've got Thorny, Ryan Thornbury. How, Ryan Thorny, how you doing, man? Doing fantastic and, uh, you know, ap- appreciating the opportunity to be the two out of the, two out of three Bobcat fans on this podcast. So yeah. it's yeah. good to be Bobcat-oriented here tonight. Yeah, we got a cat panel over here, guys. And the reason so, uh, that Chris didn't want to show up today. I don't know why. I don't, I don't blame him. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be gentle probably maybe. yeah but uh so like we said members of the big sky podcast network uh check out some of the the great productions that are going on over there the tubs at the club guys covering idaho of course r and cat cast covering montana state bobcats uh grizz fan pod i haven't had i think we've had brent on this season one time but uh go check out the grizz fan pod i think their their pod was three hours this week wasn't it yeah yeah therape- therapeutic session i imagine yeah i can't blame them three hours you know it's it's getting all out, getting it all out. Then, of course, uh, we've got Kyler Neal. I'm sure you guys, if you're a, a fan of the FCS Fans Nation, you know Kyler Neal super well. He he does Eagles Power Hour, among with uh, many other things, including the, the FCS Fans Nation Weekly Podcast with uh, Matthew Frazee and Jamie Williams. Uh, but then, let's see. Of course, Weber State Weekly. If you want to find out about the Wildcats, we're glad to find out. I mean, we, don't, we do football, of course. If you're interested in football, that's what the FCS Fans Nation is mostly about, but if you're interested in volleyball, we're talking volleyball. <laughs> so that's out there. <laughs> but uh, also want to shout out uh, the NAU Sports Podcast. Casey's uh, covering NAU down there. Um, national champions in track, if that's a thing that interests you. That's a thing. They're out there. So I think that's everybody, right? I think I got them all. Did I miss anybody? I think so. And the Bobcats are actually ranked in the top 25 in track this year for the first time that I can ever remember that ever happening in my fandom. So. Shout out to the Bobcat track team while we're, while we're here. But let's talk a little bit of football, guys. Uh, so obviously, um, we're going to keep our normal format. We're going to talk about three of what we feel is the most are the most impactful games of Week 7 in the Big Sky. And uh, so those will be Idaho at Montana. Obviously, we got to talk about that game because uh, a shock, I think, to a lot of folks. Um, Idaho fans elated. Uh, Grizz fans a little sad. Uh, but then we'll also talk about Montana State going down to Greeley to take on Northern Colorado and kind of what we learned there. Uh, and then we'll wrap up with Sacramento State going up to Eastern Washington to face the Eagles on the red turf. And then we'll name our offensive and defensive MVPs, guys. So uh, let's dive in. Let's talk about Idaho-Montana. So going into this one, I mean, this isn't a show where we necessarily pick, but I think most people, if you would talk to them going into this, they're saying, yeah, it's the Grizz, at Wash Grizz. You know, Idaho's an up-and-coming team. Um, and Idaho walks out with the Little Brown Stein. If you didn't know, this is a rivalry game. So the little brown stein is the uh, is the trophy, and the Vandals take it home for the first time since 1999. Is that right, guys? I think that's correct. Yeah. So I don't know, guys. Give me your give me your impressions on this. We can dive a little bit more into the stats and stuff, but just first shot. What were you thinking, Thorny? I want to go with you first, man. I mean, I in my gut before this game happened, I was thinking, you know what, the Grizz are going to rebound. They're probably going to just steamroll Idaho at home. Idaho's had like a good story so far. Jason Eck has done a really tremendous job with that program in a short amount of time. But I thought, you know, they couldn't waltz into Missoula and take down the Grizz. But if there's anything that Idaho has done under Petrino was play well in games where they were punching up. And they punched up tremendously in this game. And I, I was very surprised the way, the way that the game went down, the way that Idaho controlled the game and was able to kind of neutralize pretty much everything that Montana does in, in order to steamroll opponents. So um, I was just really impressed. Just a gut reaction. I, I was really impressed that it happened, and you know, ultimately the score wasn't quite as close as it really was as the Grizz scored late. But damn, Idaho really dominated this game, especially in the second half. So big, big kudos to Idaho. Yeah, like you said, time of possession, a really big thing here. More than the that. Vandals dominate 42 minutes of, of the 60. At Grizz only having 17 minutes, 52 seconds of possession. So... Big factor, and Idaho would like to just kind of grind it out and chew up that clock, and it worked for him. Parley, what about you, man? Initial reactions on Idaho at Montana? Well, as a Cat fan, it's hard not to be happy about it, but sure. I, I think what got me is the, 
spread open at eight and a half and it seemed like great value on the Grizz. You know, like Thorny said, you just expected them to bounce back between uh, the kind of the weird showing in Idaho State and then the bye week and Idaho not being really proven, like close games against FBS. What do those really mean? You know, it's it's hard to know. You can you can kind of build a story on it, being show that your team's pretty good, or it, by the end of the year, oftentimes it means nothing. So I really thought the Grizz would come out and win by two scores. Uh, when it moved to 16 and a half, I thought there was some value on Idaho, just seeing, okay, they're both off a bye. Uh, Idaho is going to be playing their Super Bowl this weekend. I'll take the 16 and a half. I did not put a nickel on the money line on Idaho. So I was not expecting them to win at yeah. all. Um, I thought they might cover in an ugly game. It was an ugly game in that first half. I missed the second half. But, you know, judging by the stats and by everyone's reaction and just following along on Twitter when I could, it sounds like Idaho just dominated them in the second half. And that – that's got to be kind of – that's probably why the Grizz fan pod had a three-hour-plus pod is, you know, if, it's one thing to come out rusty in that first half. And, you know, the quarterback, McCoy, was just making some crazy plays. Like yeah. twice I saw Idaho catch a punt and a kick return and start field possession inside the five. They lost it in the sun. They had a bad return. Yeah. And you think the Grizz defense should just destroy them. Shut them down, right. But – Idaho got out of it twice. Uh, the quarterback, he got a, he was dead to rights on a couple plays in that first half where he scrambled through it. Receiver catches it on one leg before he goes out of bounds. Just It seemed just like it was all the luck was going Idaho's way. And I was like, you know, the Grizz are going to right the ship and win this game in the second half. I think I said that online to, to the Grizz fan pod, and they thought I was trolling them. But I was... <laughs> I, I, being, I can see I, how they get there. I was being sincere, but no, you know, and I don't know if it's a lack of adjustment by Montana. If it's Idaho is actually a premier team now in the big sky, or if Johnson just isn't that good. You know, if it could be one of those things, it could be a mix of all of them. I don't know what you think, Kobe. Yeah. So, uh, Obviously, I think it's probably a mix of some of those things. Um, this is Johnson's first real test, and that's like unfair because it's like, yeah, but he played at San Diego State last year, Colby. It's not like he hasn't seen pressure in his life. It's like, that's true. That's 100% true. He hasn't seen pressure in this system, though. Now, do you think about the the schedule that the Grizz have had to this point? People have noted that it's been fairly soft, and like you said, there were some stumbles in Pocatello against Idaho State, who is... I think the worst team in the conference. You can argue that Cal Poly is now because Idaho oh, State three. beat Cal Poly last weekend. Uh, I think Cal Poly has some redeeming qualities right now, but I look at Idaho State and I go, what are you? What are you good at? I don't know. So the Grizz stumbling a little bit in Pocatello was maybe a little bit of a harbinger, so I can understand how you'd feel going into this one that like, well, Idaho's a much better defense than probably any that they've faced thus far uh, the, in terms of just getting pressure on the quarterback, but then also doing a good job of containing. And that that proved true, that that, that defense from the Vandals, maybe is a little bit underrated right now because I don't think people are necessarily talking about it in the way that they should, especially we know that the Grizz don't have the, the most whiz-bang offense. You know, hey, Weber State guy, right? Like, neither do we. That's why this year has been really weird to put up almost 40 points in every game. It's like, wow, we don't do this. And so I think that you could, I could see how you would get there and say, yeah, I would want Idaho. If it's 16, I could put some money on Idaho to cover, you know, but as we get into the game, like you said, that second half, the Vandals only trail in one quarter. It's the first quarter. After that, they lead every single quarter after including uh, uh, some, some really big plays, including uh, like, uh, just just absolutely, like you said, a lot of luck parlay, but then also just some good performances. Absolutely clutch performance by Giovanni McCoy, who I think is making a case for some national awards right now. He had 286 yards in this game against a very stiff Grizz defense. And so talk to me a little bit about how you guys felt about that Idaho 
offense because it feels like this is the key. They put up just enough points on a stiff Grizz defense to get the dub, even though, like you said, Thorny, there's that late touchdown. It wasn't as close as it would appear because they were up pretty much two scores. I thought I was watching Eric Berry out there with Gianni the McCoy, just a guy who was a uh, just hanging slinging in the it. pocket and just slinging it downfield with confidence and putting yep. it where his guys can make catches. Like, not necessarily the uh, the running part of the game that EB three had, but I felt he had those kind of intangibles where he just wasn't getting rattled, and every time he just put the ball in the air, you just had a good feeling he was gonna you know make the play. And his receivers really helped him out on that too. And it's just. He was a cool cucumber back there, didn't get rattled, and just made plays. And that's how Idaho ended up winning this game is they just made more plays than the Grizz and when it, when it mattered. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you've watched the Grizz at all this season, you know that the Grizz like to bring pressure. That's a really key piece to what they do. They like to bring seven. You know, They like to just blitz often. And so for Giovanni McCoy, a freshman quarterback who I think is making a case for the Jerry Rice Award, to handle that, my goodness, like you said, Thorny, cool as a cucumber. Can handle like last year, um, EB3 to make that analogy. He handled it well at Eastern on the red turf in that night game in the regular season against the Grizz. Here you Thriller. Had, what a what a game. Great game. Here you had a rookie handling it on the road at Wagras. He impressed the hell out of me. And like that kind of was the difference is the Grizz, you know, they've got the system offense and they didn't execute like they need to. Uh, two interceptions, you can't have that. Whereas you had McCoy and Hatton just throwing up, you know, you can call it luck, but really they're talented. You know, they've, they they made plays when they had to. And they've when you've got playmakers and they're constantly working with each other, I think that's a lot of what the Grizz fans kind of want to see sometimes with some of their talented players is just, make plays with your playmakers. You know, sometimes you have to break out of that sy systemic approach, um, especially when you're getting bogged down like they were against Idaho's defense. So, you know, I'm sure if it came to the playoffs and the spread was eight and a half again to open up, I'd probably bet on Montana. But right now, Idaho really looked good. And I don't know what you guys think because we're in the same situation that Montana just was in where, you know, sack. Weber, Montana State have not really played anyone in the Big Sky. Weber, Montana State face each other. You know, we'll get into that later. But that was the thing. It's like we don't really know how good these top-ranked teams are because of who they've played. Yeah, totally fair. Um, uh, one thing I was going to ask you guys was talking a little bit about the – this was, like you said, a game between two quarterbacks just slinging it, right? There was not a lot of run offense to be had in this one. I think everyone expected that from the Grizz Montana, defense. Yeah. That's what we expect. But how do you guys take that Idaho run defense? Because, man, they absolutely shut it down. I mean, they gave up just – what? Let me, let me pull it up real fast. They gave up total net 34 yards of rushing on the ground. That's it. I mean, that's skewed a little bit by they have a negative 19 by Rohrbach, sure. their punter on there. And then, of course, Sachs County here, which is yeah. well, forever boggle my mind. But Minus 11. They only had, what, 7, 8, 9, 10, 13 attempts by their running backs in this game. That just seems uh, not a recipe for success. But, you know, you're not going to get many uh, yards rushing the ball if you just don't hand it off to your running backs. I mean, the Grizz only didn't even have the ball for 20 minutes, so you're not going to really get it going. I think the Grizz have a problem on the offensive line in this game, and Idaho really exploited that the Grizz offensive line maybe isn't as good as people were thinking, and their running game isn't as good as people were thinking, too. I think Idaho is exceptional on defense. They have some big guys, and I think they're probably above average in that category, but I think it really has to worry Grizz fans how they were unable to run the ball at all in this game. And I, I look at the Grizz and I say, there are some big skies, a very loaded conference when it comes to the running back position. I mean, you guys know this. You've got, I think, one of the best running backs in the country in Isaiah Fonse, who we haven't been able to see this season. But if you watched the, the, the Bobcats last season, you got to see him. And man, is he physical. Of course, we've talked about Alonzo Gillian last week. We're going to talk about Cameron Scadabo here in just a bit. Uh, it's a really, really good conference for running backs. 
I look at the Grizz and I say, who's your guy? Who is that standout running back for you guys? And I can't pick him out. No. It's supposed to be Marcus Knight, but uh, four carries, 13 yards. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. Uh, last thing I was going to talk about here, guys, before we move on, unless you had more, was talk about efficiency. So we talked about Giovanni McCoy and how he's cool as a cucumber, and that's true. Uh, went to the conference stats. Right now, Giovanni McCoy leads the conference in passing efficiency. And number two behind him is your own Tommy Mallott. So I kind of wanted to ask you guys this question. Does it is it just a function of the offenses that these guys are playing with? Is it like a new school versus old school kind of a thing where these new young quarterbacks coming in, playing for new young coaches? Do you think that that's kind of a trend that we might see in the Big Sky Conference where they're going to be more passing efficiency in the conference because of the youth that's coming in in the coaching staffs? You know, I don't know if it's the coaching or, the, you know, the system or just the fact that, uh, I don't know, it, he's a mobile quarterback. He showed that. And yeah. he he had six incompletions. So I don't know how much of it is just when Grizz are bringing the pressure, you know, they're not going to have double coverage, triple coverage. So if he can break away from that pressure um, and make a decent throw, you know, it's going to be, I don't know what I'm saying here, but he, he played a hell of a game. I don't know the other games, you know, does that include FBS games, his efficiency rating? Uh, yeah, because I think that there is an opportunity in the in the conference stats where you can say, I want conference-only stats. Okay. Uh, I believe this is the whole body of work, the whole season. So that's six games for, for the Vandals. Five for... Montana State. Okay. Well, when the teams, ex when the opponent's expecting you to run, you know, having an efficient quarterback is huge. And that was kind of how Tommy made his run last year was everyone was expecting the cast to, to run the ball and he made some big plays. Yep. Um, and it could be the same thing here with McCoy. Uh, he, you know, he breaks out of the pocket and he's got Hatton. You know, Hatton could be his. And that was big. Like, Hatton could be his McCutcheon this year. You know, he breaks down the sideline, makes big on those uh, toss-up throws. He's making them. You know, he's out, out jumping, out powering the DBs and making those plays. Thorny, any final thoughts here before we move on to your you all's game, Montana State at Northern Colorado? Uh, I guess the last thing I want to say on this is, you know, where did the Grizz go from here? Was were they exposed? Is this just uh, they got? you know, caught by a better team and had a bad day in the office. That's really my question moving forward is how do the Grizz rebound? Cause they have a bad schedule ahead and I don't know how worried Grizz fans should be right now, but you know, surprising outcome kudos to Idaho again and uh, you know, entertaining game to watch as a Bobcat fan. Yeah. Um, you're right, Thorny. Uh, there is a, there's a big challenge for the, for the Grizz this weekend. They have to go to Sacramento to face the Hornets uh, on the road. And so, this is kind of a, I don't know. It's it's a it, now the Grizz are going to get into the meat of their schedule. So losing to Idaho, kind of, I wonder if it's going to be like what happened to Weber last season, where they lose to JMU, and then it just felt like just this cascading, just cl a close loss after close loss, where it's just like they just couldn't seem to figure it out once they got to the meat of the schedule, and then by then it was too late. They couldn't make the playoffs. I don't. I think the Grizz will still make the playoffs, but I just wonder if this will have an effect on the tougher part of their schedule, which is coming up because they'll For face sure. Sac State this weekend. They will face us the following weekend in Ogden, and then I think that there's one more tough. There's one more tough. They have to face you guys at the end of the season, always, right? Always. And that game is on the road for them. There, that game is in Bozeman. So yep. their next three games, their three big games left are all road games. Yeah. So and it's a schedule. I mean, if if we trip up against Weber, we get a bye, two easy wins, and then Cat Grizz at the end. Where Cat Grizz. Montana doesn't get a break here in three consecutive weeks. No, they, they, I know it was the game that they were supposed to win to head into that tough part of the schedule. Yeah. So I just wonder if there's a hangover effect because of that. Maybe. But I guess we'll find out. Uh, I'm really excited to see how 
the Montana run defense handles Cameron Scadabo. And we'll talk about that in the third game. But let's talk about you guys' game. Montana State heads down to Greeley, Northern Colorado. It's not grass anymore, guys. It's turf now. It's turf. <laughs> I actually liked it when it was grass. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so, guys, this one started out, I think, interestingly, right? So things kind of kick off and the the bears are let's what do you call them the battle and bears that's what you call them right thorny so we actually called them yeah battle and bears but apparently that's rock <laughs> yeah i've been listening rocky, to the show uh, yeah rocky probably. and billings yeah, NAIA. that's <laughs> an NAI school in montana but yeah. it sounds good i do like it the battle and bears uh they were hanging around a little bit on you guys uh in fact they were leading after the first quarter you guys take the lead going into halftime uh, by three points but talk to me about that kind of your thoughts on that first half because it looked like Whoa, 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 whoa. Like, what's going on? Like, Northern Colorado is not this good. Like, what is happening? Give me your guys' thoughts. Um, well, our, our safety play continues to be a big problem. So that was a very easy touchdown for Liza Dotchin. When our safety came over, Kendrick Bailey took a terrible angle and uh, ran that right by him. rough to watch. So it was very bad to watch. And that's something that's kind of haunted the Cats all year, and especially in the first quarter. We come out and we just um, aren't able to contain offenses. We don't have a good game plan. We don't wake up right away. I don't know if we're just coming out and trying to figure out what the offense is going to do. And then before we figure it out, they've scored a touchdown. I don't really know. But that was a pretty easy touchdown for for the Bears. And you know, the Cats came down and, and moved the ball really easily in the beginning as well, but got backed up and had to kick a field goal. And then the next touchdown for the Bears was pretty questionable in, in, in two ways. There was a roughing the passer and targeting call on Brody Greeby on a long third down that would have ended the drive. Uh, due to the targeting and the roughing the passer call, Bears got another chance, and they were able to score a touchdown. I think it was also on third down, but um, replay showed he was bobbling the ball when he landed out of bounds, but they mm. didn't even review it. So Easy no touchdown for the Bears, 14-3. to Even at that point, though, like, I was like, all right, well, this can't continue. Like The That's Cats annoying, will but... get it going. I never really felt worried about it. I'm like, this is just ugly to watch, but I, you know, the Cats will come back, if not in the first half, in the second half. But when we took that lead with under two minutes left in the in the first half, you pretty much knew at that point, you know, the game's probably over at that point. I know it was only 17 to 14, and it might be, might be cocky to think that, but just the fact that the Cats closed out so strong um, and really started clamping down on defense and figuring things out on offense, and they come out and score two, two pretty quick touchdowns in the third quarter, nine minutes left to go in the third quarter, it's 30 to 14, and and then the Cats, as they have been, been doing, go into super – ultra conservative mode and just hand the ball up up the middle for two yards a pop until the game's over it's pretty <laughs> i don't i don't enjoy the cat running out the clock offense but they went into that and uh that was, that was the end of the game yeah um and, and that's a really good point thorny like you said because yes the bears do go up 14 to 3 but then like you said it feels like there's a shift in the game the the bobcats kind of figure things out UNC really doesn't do anything from that point on, you know, because they score that second touchdown with 12 minutes, 12 and a half minutes left in the second quarter. And keep in mind, like that's, that's the last time that they see the end zone. Like they don't, they don't score again, you know? And so it's like, yeah. And like you said, there's some questionable call there. Uh, okay. Was it a touchdown? Whatever. But then the Bobcats just kind of get rolling. They just get it going. And the game really isn't in doubt from that point. Willie Patterson comes I mean, it's a huge game for him. Tons of of yardage, um, some big plays. Uh, nice to see him kind of getting an opportunity against this Northern Colorado defense because he's a talented player. And so it's like we talked about last week, you guys aren't throwing the ball a lot. So good to see <laughs> those wide receivers still got hands that work. Yes. <laughs> Been running the ball so much. Your hands get tired blocking people all day. So it's good to see that they can... <laughs> unflex them from the grabbing jersey position and catch a football yeah it works <laughs> uh parlay i'm gonna give you a chance man thoughts on this one uh, just kind of that first half and kind of how you were feeling going into the second yeah the first half was frustrating and i think similar to thorny i never was fearful that the bobcats were actually going to lose the game but i as someone who bet on the bobcats at minus <laughs> 20 and a half it was pretty nerve wracking for that yeah. first half, you know, especially down 14, three with those penalties going against us um, with, and not just with betting, but the future of the Bobcats team 
those two big offensive line injuries. The one guy got rolled up on, and I hear he's out yeah. for the season. You know, it's just injury after injury. And next man up, yes, but it comes a time where, you know, how can we keep up with this, um, especially on the old line? So that was tough to see. And then, of course, you know, the, the horrible – but they, they had two touchdowns, just the horrible angle and tackling on the first touchdown. And then a penalty and a really confusing non-challenge. Like the, the challenge the, – the announcers were kind of speaking for me in that game when it's like, okay, you had another one where it was like an eight yard pivotal gain. Instead of being third and long, it was third and short. And it was such an obvious drop and they never reviewed it. And so there's a couple of those um, cats look sloppy, but Willie came through. There was the, the turning point. Probably I don't win that bet and hot take Nate doesn't win his, he, as he says, scared money. You know, don't make money. And he was really confident in minus 20 and a half, a little more than I was. But Willie Patterson had one catch in the first half. Tommy threw it up and the DB made a great play on it. Willie ripped it out of the dude's arms. Yeah, like he's all in the end zone. Touchdown. Yep. The guy still kind of had it. They went to the ground. They were wrestling with that ball for, and it, for you know, a good 30 seconds. Um, before it was called a touchdown. But, I mean, if that's an interception, Big. You know, who knows how that – I mean, I think the Cats still win. Like, I, Cats were controlling that game, especially – you saw what happened in the second half. Um, but if he doesn't make that catch, I don't come away a winner. Nate doesn't come away a winner. Um, well, actually, it took a, a touchdown by Sean Chambers with a minute and 20 seconds left to cover the spread. But, yeah, it, frustrating first half. Happy Willie made some great plays. Um, saw Tommy started to shake some rust off, but really mostly concerned about the injuries. That's that's the most troubling part. Um, you know, that's what worries me the most about the future and about playing you guys next week. Yeah, so I want to ask you guys about that because Tommy just, you know, he just returned from injury, uh, ended up going out in the Eastern game, you know, really tough. Um, hit his head on the turf. It was just a, it's a bad deal. And then you guys had the, the bye week. And so there, he had some time to kind of get, get things back together. Um, but I wanted to ask you how you guys felt about his performance. Cause he was 15 of 19, uh, three touchdowns. He, he ended up walking away with 217 yards. Uh, seemed like a pretty good performance back from what was maybe potentially a concussion and a bye week. How were you guys feeling? Uh, just a, Quick correction there. There was no bye week uh, for the Cats. That's after. We oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, because you guys played Idaho State. Sorry. It's an Idaho State thing. To. Yeah, man. Uh, it's a scrimmage. Uh, you know, he started off a little rusty. Uh, I think I saw a comment pop up here. Um, he had to shake the rust off for sure. He started like 2 of 5, sailed a ball on the sideline that looked pretty pretty bad throw. But, you know, once he kind of got his feet back under him and, uh, you know, was able to make some throws and get some things going, a couple nice little runs that kind of look like you know the Tommy lot that we're kind of used to seeing nothing big yet still but you know the little elusiveness in, in up the middle and a little spin move to get himself like an 11 yard gain at one point so you know I was pretty impressed for for his first time back they really let him take a majority of the the snaps and the passes Chambers only threw three passes in this game and uh you know I could spend a whole podcast talking about how the cats are approaching the quarterback situation with Tommy lot and Sean Chambers I'm not going to but, but you know Tommy lot looked good coming back and yeah he is number two in the efficiency in the big side conference right now and that's uh something he's going to have to do and continue to do throughout the rest of the season season for the cats to be able to make a you know playoff push here or big sky conference title push even um at the end of the season yeah the nice thing is that for you guys there's the game against the wildcats this weekend that game is you know at home for you so that's good and then the rest of the schedule is pretty soft until Cat Grizz, which is also in your building. So I think odds are in your favor that things look good. There's a there's still a potential conference championship on the line. But do you guys feel that the there was some maybe like, oh, Sean Chambers is so good. No, Tommy's coming back. Do you feel like that's kind of like settled down a little bit now that Tommy's been able to come out, passes really well, took care of the ball? You guys feel like that's not really a, a thing in Bozeman anymore? We haven't played anyone so and i'm not in bozeman so i i'm going to talk to my friend who's got season tickets there see what his feel for it is but 
we're going to know a lot more about that after this weekend's game. And because my feeling is Chambers was playing better overall, but again, it was against Idaho State. It was against UC Davis after Davis. murderer's row in a night game. So I don't know. I mean, it's 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 really tough. I'm glad I'm not the one making the decision. And like Thorny says, we could talk about it for you know another for almost half a Grizz fan pod is or as who should be quarterback for Montana State going forward. And Only I half was, though. Yeah, I was joking with my brother. I was like, damn, I wish Chambers was a senior so they could just say, you know what? We'll give you most of the snaps for your last year. And you know, but I was looking up he's a junior. So it's like it's, it. it's what I don't know. I, vegan can hopefully figure it out. I mean Sac State kind of knows what to do with it. So um, but the problem is they're so similar in a way, you know, I think Chambers got a little more meat on him, and it seems, man, he, he kind of makes some throws that I don't know if Tommy makes and might even run better and does run better than him. So he it's better. Yeah. You know, but Tommy's from Butte and he had a hell of a, I mean, how do you take, how do you have that guy lose his job because of injury? You know, he, he hasn't messed up yet. So, man, Saturday is going to be interesting to see how he handles uh, the QB situation and how they play against an actually legit defense. The only thing I'll say real quick on this is it was really refreshing, the UC Davis game, to see a Bobcat quarterback take every snap, not get subbed out for some sort of weird wildcat package, and sling the ball over the field, be in command of the offense, and be in complete control of everything, and make plays with his feet and his arm. It looked the most normal it has in a long time in Montana State. So that was, it was hard knowing that that's the last time I see a normal-looking game from a Bobcat quarterback because it's going to go back to the subbing thing like Sac State's doing. But there really is no wrong choice, I guess, as it really boils down to. I think they both have pros, they both have cons. They seem happy enough. With the situation, the locker room seems happy. Everyone kind of knows their role, so I don't think it's going to backfire in any way. But it was really fun to watch the normal quarterback slinging around, and it was hard to know that that was going to end. Uh, last question on this, guys. I wanted to get your thoughts on – so Dylan McCaffrey actually outpasses Tommy Mallott, not nearly as efficient. Uh, he's 33 of 49. He gets 259 yards. You know, Like we said, Tommy, 217 yards on 19 attempts. It's far, far better. But how? what did you make of McCaffrey being able to move the ball relatively? I mean, is that a concern or is it just like, eh, that was what they had to do and so they did it? He's That's, only capable of dink and dunks. I mean, that he doesn't yeah. have much else in his <laughs> in his bag. He can throw he can throw the ball a long ways, but he can't he just doesn't. I mean, all he all uh, Northern Colorado does is just uh little out routes, little hooks for like seven yards and just do it over and over and over again. And I knew that once the catcher by two scores, it was over because that's literally all Northern Colorado can do. They're just going to keep doing that. <laughs> so it's like they don't have big, big play capability. He's a, he's a good looking kid. He's, he can make some throws every once in a while. Every once in a while, you're like, all right, well, that's why he was a five-star quarterback. Then he makes a couple decisions and throws. And I'm like, all right, well, that's why he's at Northern Colorado. Yeah. How about you, Parlay? How are you feeling about that defense? Well, not great, just mostly because of like the edge tackling and a few big plays throughout the season. But when it comes to the yards, it doesn't bother me. You know, they give up some yards, but when it comes when the field gets smaller, you know, getting closer to the red zone, the Bobcats can dial up some different packages. They can bring some pressure. You know, like the comment just said, Ben not break. And we saw it last year too against Weber. We saw it against Eastern and those two big games that where Vegan really came out and impressed me. And, you know, hopefully it just stays that way. I, okay, give McCaffrey 278 yards on 50 attempts. Who cares? You know, they, they scored zero points in the second half. Yeah, they visited the red zone once. And like Thorny said, there's not really big play capability there. It's not really what they do offensively. So you went to the red zone one time. You came away with, some, with, with a touchdown. You know, it's fine. Whatever. The defense handled that relatively. I mean, that's the way I feel about the Wildcats' performance against Davis because Miles Hastings was very much that. He wanted to 
you know, throw to the middle of the field, just kind of these short passes to keep moving the chains. But they also didn't have a lot of success in the red zone or if they got there, it just wasn't happening for them. And so as a Wildcat fan in a similar situation, it's like, yeah, Ben, don't break is fine so long as you don't break. Because if you do, then you got problems. So, guys, any final thoughts on Montana State battling Bears, or are we we good? Hey, we're good. I'm good. <laughs> All right. All right, let's move on then. Let's talk a little bit about Sac State Eastern. Uh, this was an interesting game because I saw that a lot of people across the country felt like the Eagles were going to be competitive in this one, that they were going to give the Hornets a run for their money. Obviously, it's on the road. The thing is this, though. If you've watched Sac State in the Troy Taylor era, they are extremely good on the road. And so I always felt that Sac was definitely going to roll in this one. And that's exactly what we saw. 52 points. Just absolutely outclassed the Eagles. Give me your guys' thoughts on this one because I think this is the best team that Sac has seen yet if you don't count the FBS opponent in Colorado State who continues to be absolutely terrible. Eastern, a quality opponent, but they handled it. No problem. Uh, probably I don't mind if I jack this one because I'm going to have to take off, so I'm going to give my this be my last little segment here. Sure. Um, you know, I, I was kind of expecting this. Sac State is so good at running the ball, and after yeah. watching Eastern Washington's rush defense against the Bobcats, <sighs> like, there, there's absolutely no way that Eastern's going to slow down Sac State at all. And what did Sac State end up with? 385 rushing yards on 6.2 yards per carry. <laughs> I mean, that was just more of the same uh, what the Bobcats said. Eastern's got big problems right now. Um, I wonder if Aaron Best might end up being on the hot seat because this is the worst Eastern Washington team I have seen in a long time. They've had a real bad schedule, but you know, if they were if they were a top 25 team, they would have won a couple, one or two of them at least. They they won none of them, and the most competitive one was against the Bobcats. Um, you know, it was it's a good win for Sac State. I, I was wondering if Eastern could bounce back and protect the red turf on this one. I was I was a little bit cautious of that and uh it was kind of a crazy first half when it was 21 points for sack in the first quarter then 21 straight points for eastern washington i'm like what, boom, what's going to happen to this game um but then uh you know sack locked it down and you know that that was that so good good win for sack state 36 first downs is a pretty ridiculous stat <laughs> looking looking at the stats there sack state scared me man they got some they got yeah. they might not be the most complete team in the league but they might still end up being the best team in the league for in a lot of different ways just coaching Coaching number one, they might have the best coach in the league, Troy Taylor, until he proves otherwise. He's been really good. He's, I mean, obviously, there's the playoff games. Sack hasn't had a lot of success in the playoffs, but you can't argue what he's done in the Big Sky Conference. Yeah, he's lost one Big Sky game. That's it. And that was to us. All right, gentlemen. Well, it was fun being on. Good seeing you, Thorny. I will catch you later, and I will listen to the episode uh, when it gets released. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thorny. Appreciate you, man. Yep. Check out RNR Catcast. That's where Thorny and his counterpart Ryan. That's where they do all the breakdown of Montana State football. So go check those guys out if you're interested. I'm sure they'll have a breakdown coming up if you want to kind of get the Bobcat side of the Weber State matchup coming up this weekend. They'll have all the goods for you, man. So go check them out. But Parley, I wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about the Sac State Ewu matchup because, like I said. We know that Eastern far and away has the worst run defense. It was the thing that if you listen to Weber State Weekly, we talked about going into our Hoko game was that the Eagles were not going to be able to hold the Wildcat rush offense. It just wasn't going to happen. They give up like, well, it's going to be a lot more now. <laughs> I was like, it was 288 yards, you know, that, that week. Now, let's see what they're giving up now. Now they're giving up 298 yards a game. Cameron Scadabo just destroys them. He has... 205 201 yards net he only loses four yards on 29 attempts that's 6.9 yards per carry like scatabo is just man he's just a, a monster then you add asher o'hara which if you don't know sac state is running this kind of like dual quarterback thing and he had 149 yards himself right there or sorry he had 94 my bad uh he had 94 yards himself rushing and so it's just like uh, that's that's 300 yards of rushing right there between two guys. How is Eastern going to deal with that? They didn't. Yeah, they didn't. And I, I kind of thought this was Eastern's chance to say, hey, we're still good. It's just been our schedule. Yeah. <clears throat> we're coming home. 
we're going to, you know, at least make things interesting. They did in the second quarter. They had a rush where they scored 21 unanswered, I believe. But then, you know, when you can't stop the run and you're playing a team with Scatabo and a quarterback who can run it, things aren't going to go your way unless you can get a lot of turnovers. They didn't. And they ended up, like you said, giving up 52 points. Um, and Eastern was held once, like, once again, back-to-back weeks, held to seven points in the second half. I mean, you, I know yours, the, the touchdown Weber gave up was a, a defensive one. Garbage time. Garbage, like. <laughs> you know. But, again, Eastern is not doing well in the second half. I think teams just know, all right, their defense sucks. They've got some talent on offense. We can adjust at halftime, and they're just the, – the good teams in the big sky are, are just hammering Eastern in the second half. So, yeah, I don't know if Best is on the hot seat or not. I, I don't know how much his boosters and fans will look at the schedule and the fact that you lose, you know, NFL or CFL level talent at wide receiver and QB. But, um, yeah, that's this is – when's the last time Eastern had a season where not only are they not going to make the playoffs, but they might not win more than – two or three games. Well, their schedule softens up here in just a bit. And so I think they'll, they'll get some dubs, but yeah, playoffs are out off the table. It's this was an opportunity for them to get a quality win. Cause that's what they need. They need a signature win to make a case to the committee that, Hey, listen, the schedule has been tough, but we've got this signature win. The Wildcats were in a similar situation last year where they had lost to JMU. They had lost to Davis. They had lost to Montana state. And then they lose to Portland State at home. And that was it. That was the death knell for the Wildcats' hopes of going to the playoffs that year because where are the signature wins? They're not there. You know, they beat Eastern when they're when it felt like, well, that's what it is. You know what I mean? But losing to Portland State the following week was really like, no, Eastern is not going to be a good enough win to get you into the playoffs. And I worry that Eastern Washington this season is in a similar boat where it's just they don't have a signature win to go to the committee and say, hey, tough schedule, but this. There's nothing to show. No. So, yeah, it, it looks like they can pick up maybe three run, wins the rest of the way. But, yeah, it's rough schedule. Sack, but again, sack looks great. But maybe Eastern's just not good. And the matchup was perfect for sack um, with, with the way – Sacks offense works versus the weaknesses on Eastern. So that's what makes, you know, you're just an average fan. You're watching that score. You look at Idaho versus Montana. You think, man, Sacks should just steamroll Montana late game at home. Bobby doesn't do well late games, but strength for strength. So it could be a completely different outcome. Um, and I think the, the line is showing that too. It opened it, you know, granted it's a Montana sports book. So it's always skewed a little bit towards Montana open because they can't afford to have too much money come in on the Montana teams. And, you know, they have sack only as a three and a half point favorite. It's now four and a half. So I don't know. That just kind of shows what, you know, the matchups can bring because, Man, I kind of think Sack should win by double digits. I think a lot of people think that, but uh, what do you think with Sack versus Montana? Yeah. Up? So if the line is, what'd you say, Sack three, Sack by three? Four and a half right now. I sack would take that yeah. because it's like, listen, Sack's offense is probably the most prolific in the conference right now, which is normally a title that we would give to Eastern Washington, but they've had their troubles this year. They haven't run the ball quite as well as I think that they would want to. Gunnar Talkington is very talented. An Eastern Washington team will always throw the ball well. That's what it is. But he's not Eric Berrier, so there's only so much that he can do. They've got some, some things that they've got to work on. I look at what SAC has done to every single team they've played. They've put up points, period. They've put up points on everybody. So if it's three and a half, four and a half, whatever you said, I'm taking sack, man, because it's like, listen, the, the Troy Taylor thing, he's lost one Big Sky game in his time in the Big Sky Conference, and that was to Weber State, 
at home, well, at home for them in Sacramento in 2019, that's it. I think I'd probably take sack to cover. I agree. Um, yeah, again, it, it's going to be interesting to see Eastern Weber and Montana State play the better teams because that the Idaho-Montana game, it just right now my feeling is that Weber and SAC are the two best teams and then Montana, Montana State, and Idaho are all right there, like close to each other. And I think Montana was caught off guard by Idaho. They weren't prepared. They didn't play well. Um, not to take anything away from Idaho, but no, it just seems to me like, you know, Sack and Weber are a step ahead, and you know, it'll be interesting to see this weekend. Yeah, uh, this is going to tell us a lot. Uh, I was thinking about this earlier today. Um, so if you watched the Mariners make their playoff run for the first time in 20, what, 21 years this last season, um, a lot of talk about chaos, right? Embrace the chaos. And I was thinking, what would chaos look like in the big sky? And so in my brain, this is what chaos looks like. The Grizz go to Sacramento and they win. Yeah, the the Wildcats possible. go to Bose, the Bozeman and they win. But then the following week, the Grizz lose to Weber State. Fine. That's two quality wins for the Wildcats. But then Sacramento State comes to town. The Wildcats lose to Sacramento State at home in Ogden. Okay, so that's a problem. And then Cat Grizz is the last really big game. And if if Montana goes and somehow wins the Cat Grizz game in Bozeman, that's just chaos, dude. It's like, this makes no sense. And that's where you get, you're going to have some ties at the top with teams that haven't played each other because Idaho and Montana State don't play each other. Sac State and Montana State don't play each other. You guys don't play Idaho. We don't play Idaho this year. We play next year. So we could have, like, hypothetically, we could have a three- or four-way tie at the top of teams that all haven't played each other. So there's your chaos, like you said. Chaos. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like that's very much like 20... As a Wildcat fan, I'm not going to complain about sharing the conference title because we've shared the conference title every year except for the weird spring season where we won it outright quote unquote but it's like what do we play six games we played five games because cal poly pulled out we didn't get to play them so <laughs> it's like is that is that real is that real we won it outright Ugh. so you know what i mean like as a wildcat fan i'm not going to complain at all about sharing potentially sharing a conference title because we've done it every year it's fine it's just the nature of the schedule you don't play everybody every year you play them twice every three years and that's just the way it works and so if you know the the Montana State Bobcats don't face Sac State this season. Well, that's what it is. It just happened to work out that way. The Wildcats have been a beneficiary of that, I think, in some years where, you know, if they had played some of those tough teams, they might have lost and they wouldn't have been conference champions. But it's the nature of the big sky. Really quickly, uh, they got this question hanging out in here. I wanted to ask you, Parley, what you thought. So this is from Nick. He said, yes, do you think the Big West schools, which are Cal Poly and Davis, they play in the Big West and every other sport but football, do you think they'll leave the big sky for the whack? What are you your know, thoughts I'm not, there? I'm not the expert on the whole realignment and everything. I can just yeah. only follow along with the chat. And I know a lot of guys that are more informed than I, you know, they look at things like location, um, endowment size, uh, you know, admission size, uh, you know, academic um, factors, things like that. And those all kind of point towards if, teams are going to move up those would be the two teams that do cal poly and uc davis just because they'd be better off getting more scholarships you know considering what their universities are more than anything else so but again that's realignment is not my specialty i love fcs i you know i love the big sky and i'm not really looking to see who can move up and who can do this and do that so yeah i'm not the guy to ask so to speak well, I'll give a quick take on this. What I think happens is this. I think it is far more likely that Davis goes up to FBS than they go to the WAC. The WAC is WAC, and I don't think an academic school like UC WAC. Davis or an academic school like Cal Poly would go to the WAC. They look at those schools and go, what? 
no, we're not going to go there. And that maybe that's like a very kind of almost like Pac-12 ish, where they're like, no, 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 we we have academic standards around here. You know what I mean? But uh, so I think that Davis is most likely to go up to FBS. Cal Poly's not doing very much right now. They are still working on it. And so with the state of their football program right now, I don't think they go anywhere. I mean, the Big West seems like a good fit for them. Uh, I can't see them leaving the Big Sky in football to go to the WAC because it's like, why? You're going to have, you're going to be more competitive by staying in the Big Sky Conference. Travel may be cheaper for the WAC, but it also may not be because they got this weird WAC ASUN thing going on. So you may end up traveling to Tennessee or something weird like that. You know, you got to pay Austin P or something weird like that. So I don't know, man. I don't, I don't think Pauly leaves. If Davis leaves, it's to go FBS. That's my take. So Parley, let's wrap this up, man. Let's do offensive and defensive MVPs. Let's start offensive, man. Who's your offensive MVP in the big sky this week? Well, you could give to Scadabo every time and you wouldn't be wrong. 205 yards. Yeah. You would not be wrong. But, and he, I don't know who the better team is at this point. It's probably Eastern. It should be Western. But, man, Willie, I'm going to do the homer pick again Willie because good. it also helped my pocketbook. He helped me cover <laughs> the spread. But anytime you can get three TDs and over 140 yards, that is really good. And, and again, that just – I watched where he wrestled that ball out of the DB's hands in the end zone at the key point in the game when – Things were not looking good for the Bobcats. You know, again, if if that – I think, you know, I don't know what down it was. I think it might have been third down. So if it was an incompletion, not a good thing for the Cats. If an interception, you know, they're still down big in that first half, and who knows what happens after that. But, you know, just when he confidently took that ball out of the guy's hand and just stuck with it to the better end and finishes with three touchdowns, what is it? A hundred and uh, 148 yards off on seven, seven catches on seven catches. Yeah. I am perfectly fine with being a homer with that pick. No, it's a good pick. And I, I mean, I, I can't blame you at all. That's an absolutely fantastic performance for a team that, like we said last week, does not throw the ball a lot, you know, with Tommy coming back, throwing the ball very efficiently, found his guys. Willie Patterson was one of those seven of his 15 catches, 17 Seven of his 15 successful receptions by, you know, by Tommy Malott. That's almost half just going to Willie because he was getting it done. And I think you go with the hot hand when it's hot. That's, that's what happens. And that's what Tommy did. So I can't blame you for me. Offensive MVP this week is Giovanni McCoy. Uh, here's why he goes 21 of 27. Also a very efficient day for him. 286 yards. Two touchdowns, one pick. I did see that pick straight to Patrick O'Connell. It was just like, bam, right to him. Like, he was just there. Like, it wasn't any doubt where that was going. But overall, like we talked about in that first segment, Giovanni McCoy handled the pressure of the Grizz at Wash Grizz as a freshman in a massive game. Man, respect. Because the last time the Wildcats played in Wash Grizz, it did not go well at all. Not go well at all. So kudos to him. That's a big game. That's some big-time play. Uh, that's my offensive MVP this this week. So now let's go defense. Who you got for defense? Oh boy, that's why I needed Thorny here. Like I just, uh, <laughs> I can't even. You know, I want to be smart ass to be say Lucas Johnson for Idaho, but <laughs> um, two picks. Uh, gosh, yeah. You know, I gotta find like an Idaho player here because I the, the Idaho defense held Montana to how many rushing yards did they get again? Like for some reason, it's a little skewed because there's a 19 yard loss because of the punter that busted special teams play 11 yards lost to Lucas Johnson, just sacks. So they, they gained 68, but they lose 34. So it's 34 net. But whether it's the defense or the coaches on Idaho or mix or the situation, but whatever got into Bobby and the Grizz's head that kept them to 4, 8, 11, 13 rushing attempts. You know, for somehow they got the Grizz to play the game they wanted to play. That's true. So 
I don't know who to give it to on Idaho, but it's a team award. You know, the Idaho defense, they come into Wagres, they get the win, they hold them to um, 23 points with a, a last, you know, a meaningless fourth quarter touchdown. So it was essentially 16 points when the game was put away. That's damn impressive. You know, I wish I could give it to an individual, but they probably tell you, you know, it was our our whole our whole defensive squad. Yeah, I'd say, you know, just kind of looking at it, probably maybe Paul Moala, because Paul Moala ends up with six total tackles. That's three solo, three assisted. Two of those TFLs, one of them is a sack. He also has a pick returned for 19 yards. That's okay. a pretty good day for a defensive yeah. player. Sounds good. So Paul Moala, there you go. That's that's gave a gave Parley a little bit of help there. Thank you. For me, man, I'm going to go on the other side of the ball. I actually I actually like Patrick O'Connell for this, and here's why. Eight total tackles, two TFLs, half a sack, also had a pick at a really key point in the game because I think that if he doesn't intercept that ball, Idaho's driving, and it's the first half, and so if they drive and they get a touchdown, it is full-on panic mode for the Grizz. But Patrick O'Connell comes up with that pick, returns it, stops Idaho from driving right there, kind of slows their offense down a little bit. That's a really big play. Obviously, it didn't, in the grand scheme of things, it didn't stop the Vandals from winning the game. But had that not happened, and they had gone in and, and scored another touchdown, man, I think this game looks a lot different. I think the Idaho probably wins by a lot more. So, Patrick O'Connell, even though your team lost, I think that you had a really good showing, and I think this week he's my defensive MVP. Don't we get a, we get to watch Patrick O'Connell versus Scatabo? Yeah, prime time on ESPN two Saturday night. Great, I'm excited. Yeah, that's a big game. I absolutely love it. I love the deal that the conference is getting right now, where they're getting some of these games on ESPN. Like we said, the, the game last year, even though it was on really late. Montana at Eastern Washington, that was an instant classic, man. Like I would go back and watch that game today because it was so good. Yeah, Bobcat friends texting me about how awesome it was. I mean, yeah. how often do you get Bobcat fans watching their most hated <laughs> team on their most disgusting field, you know, at 10 p.m. at night? Like it was just, it was such a good game. Um, you know, came down to the end and I, I, I know we talked about the line earlier. We talked about, oh, that's ridiculous. Sack will cover that easy. I have a feeling it's going to come down to that fourth quarter, if not the last two to five minutes. You see, you think it's close? Yeah. Okay. Because like I said, I think that the X factor here is whether or not the Grizz can hold Scadabo. If the Grizz run defense cannot hold Cameron Scadabo, just hand the conference championship to Sac State right now because if they can't stop him, nobody can. Not not my Wildcats. Nobody. So we'll, well see. They don't have to play us. So we might, <laughs> they might share the. If we can beat you guys this weekend, maybe they get a, a co championship with the Bobcats. Yeah. Well, all right, man. Uh, anything else you want to shout out, Parlay? Any um, anything interesting before we wrap up this one? No, I mean. Just uh, man, if you if you think Sac State and Weber State are the two best teams in the Big Sky Conference, you can parlay their money lines and get more than four to one odds right now. If you're in the state of Montana, wow, it's not bad. So, so little little tip, the little tidbit from Montana parlay there, folks. Um, we want to thank the Big Sky Podcast Network and FCS Fans Nation for allowing us to do this one. Really appreciate all you guys hanging out in the comments tonight. Uh, we tried to show as many of those on on air as we can. I, I, what I need to do is I need to I need to do what the guy what Blue does with Blue Bloods, where he reads them. That's what I should be doing. I should be reading those. So, thanks to you guys for living in the in the uh, in the comments. Really appreciate you. Thanks to everybody who helps us kind of put all this good content together. Check out the Big Sky Podcast Network. Check out FCS Fans Nation Network. Uh, they're doing a, a really great job highlighting the subdivision FCS. And so it's a good time. So I'll wrap it up like I usually do. Uh, actually, wait, before I do that, I got I to gotta get, get things ready here, man. So I'll wrap it up like I usually do. It's Big Sky, Big Takes. Woo! 